Welcome to episode number 49 of the Marine Layer Podcast. We have on Ian Furness of KGR for some Mariners talk. Julio's hot streak continues throughout the weekend, and we dive into the topic, can the Mariners win the American League West? Well, we'll try and find out. Before we start this episode, a reminder to you guys, as always, if you're listening on our audio platforms, make sure to head over to YouTube, subscribe, check us out on the video side, like, comment, and turn those notification bells on because we do both audio and video with this podcast. And at the same time, if you're watching on YouTube, go over to Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you listen to your podcast, hit download, follow us, and give us that five-star review. The download and the five-star review helps us big time. So make sure to go do that. And then head to social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube Shorts. Go follow us there, at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here post-game on Monday, August 21st, and after another emphatic win today, Lyle. I'm sitting here before the episode thinking, man, three weeks ago tonight, I sat down in this chair, came on this podcast, and let the words leave my mouth that I was worried the Mariners did not sell enough in a seller's market. Well, don't you think I feel stupid now? So you're sitting here and say you're you're sitting here and saying you're actually okay with Teoscar Hernandez still on the team, with Ty France still on the team. You're saying that you're you're okay watching those guys hit these days? I am. Teoscar's over 900 OPS in August. I would say definitely is better than whatever they would have gotten in return. That's for that's for certain. Man, what a stretch up to now 32 and 13 since July 1st. We're sitting here thinking like as the Mariners are bouncing around 500 that like winning t- 22 of 25 like they did in 2022 is just it's not realistic. You can't expect to win 22 of 25 games in a given season to essentially single-handedly propel yourself into playoff position with a stretch like that. Well, now it's uh, 32 of 45. Not quite 22 of 25, but I'd say that's still pretty good. <laughs> It's always nice to step back and remind yourself of that, especially after the two Orioles losses that were so excruciating a couple weeks ago and we sat there feeling like there was such a missed opportunity. Then you look at the broader picture and you say, oh yeah, this is the best team in baseball over the last nearly two months now. Oh yeah, two extra inning losses and a blown ninth ninth inning lead away from 18 consecutive wins, which (laughs) dwarfs (laughs) what they did last year. Just kind kind of funny to think about. What would we be sitting here saying right now if that was the case? If they had straight up, if they had straight up ripped off eighteen consecutive wins. I mean, look, we're still sitting here saying singing nothing but praises about this team. But if they had had eighteen wins in a row right now, I mean, it just changes drastically what we're talking about. Which is funny because it's not that different, but it kind of is at the same time because you look at that all-time win streak. The Mariners wouldn't be that far off if they just hold on. They should have a book written about them by Michael Lewis and then a movie made about them. I forget I forget who directed Moneyball. I should know this as one of as a as a Moneyball truther. Entitle it The Chase for Shohei. Hey, can they include us being at the park during the Angel series in a couple weeks? Can that be part of the part of the movie? I'm down. <laughs> you can count me in with that. Yeah, how can we flag the crew down to 
get out to center field or really wherever we're roaming around in the middle of September during those games, which is, by the way, another promo. I say we, I guess TJ won't be here for it, but I will be at the ballpark. We're going to be passing out index cards with signs on it, with notes on it that say, you better be screaming, come to Seattle for every single at that he's up. And we're going to, don't worry, like those note cards and index cards are going to find their ways around the stadium. We're making this happen. So just another little quick promo as it starts to get closer and closer. You saw that paltry effort the Rangers put in last week when they were trying to court show, hey, no, this one's going to gonna blow it out of the water. I promise. You had a section in right field, Channing, come to Texas for one at bat for Otani. Like, cool, dude. That didn't even register on the same level of what happened at the All-Star game. And I guarantee you that series in the middle of September is going to blow that Texas chant out of the water. And while I know a lot of people don't really know Shohei all that much, but is Shohei Otani going to Texas? Is he going to live in the state of Texas? Well, they do say no income taxes, but I doubt it. No, I doubt it too. Yeah. It, it just feels like, not that we're some insiders, but it just feels like he's staying on the West Coast. So whether that be the Dodgers, whether that be maybe the Mariners, maybe the Giants, it just feels like he's staying there. It doesn't feel like he's going anywhere near New York. It doesn't feel like he's going to Texas. Maybe think about somewhere like the Cubs, but I think it's going to be the West Coast. Another thing that really just kind of goes beyond reality with the, with this Mariner streak and the fact that we said this wasn't going to happen again, and yet here they are doing it right again, doing exactly what they did last year, reeling off a ton of wins in a row. If I told you at the beginning of this season, Lyle, that the Mariners were going to force Houston into a players-only meeting in their own ballpark, those can I say those words again? The Mariners, who are 7-30 and 30 at Minute Maid Park, since 2019, forced the Houston Astros into a players-only meeting after a series. Wrap your head around that. And just judging by Twitter, Astros fans were pissed to see that going on, seeing their players-only meeting occurring. Hey, don't forget, this was the Mariners' World Series. If you ask Astros fans if they had won that series, that series means everything. If the Mariners win it, oh, it doesn't matter because that's their World Series. Well, I got news for you, Houston. Are you getting to the World Series at this rate? Not if you keep playing like this. Houston's one slip up from looking up at a, at a nice teal and, uh, teal and blue team above them in the standings. They are. And they won tonight here on Monday, so it might have to wait another day. But they're right there. They're half a game behind the Astros right now. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But man, what a great weekend. I thought it was fitting I'd wear this Believe shirt here on today's podcast, which is from two years ago, but I have the shirt and it just felt fitting because here we sit after a season of what was primarily 500 ball. Now the Mariners are doing everything people had hopes and dreams of them doing at the start of the year. So I'm sitting here believing all of a sudden. Watch us on YouTube, by the way, if you want to see the shirt. And we made an entire segment about them being 500. And it's funny, they haven't been 500 cents. We've had some late comments on our social media posts about that. It was it was that social clip that we did of you saying, Lyle, what's your favorite Mariners record this year? Is it 40 and 40? Is it 35 and 35? I go, I think it was one and one because back then Robbie Ray was still healthy. We still had hopes. And I think I ended that clip by saying, I am absolutely exhausted. And now we've got comments flowing in from people saying, how are you guys feeling now? And I've responded to a couple of them saying, well, better. 
Well, since that point when they were 50 and 50, they have now won 20 times and lost five. So, yeah, I would say the vibes are significantly better. Just a little bit. It's It's been incredible. Baseball is such a long season, and this is what it does to you. It makes you feel like in the middle of May, June, even stretching into July this year, that your season is not going to go the way you wanted it to. And all of a sudden, a couple weeks can make an entire difference. That's what ha- That's what's happened here. Let's get to our Mariners storylines, and we'll start off with the star of the week, the catalyst behind it all. You did mention team sport. Team sport, everyone's got to be playing well, pitching's well, lineup one through nine, which has been happening, has all been hitting. But it's not happening with without number 44, Julio Rodriguez, making baseball history over this weekend. Eh, the Mariners won 14-2 to today without him. Spin zone, is he actually making the offense worse when he's in the lineup? Spin zone, is Julio Rodriguez in a slump after only one hit on Sunday? People are asking. It might be why he got a day off today. They were just, they were tired of him not putting up multi-hit games and said, you know what? You need a break. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Gotta say, his replacements in the outfield today did just fine without him, you know. If, if no one was telling me else, I'd believe Julio is a, is a detriment to the outfield group as a whole. We ask the hard-hitting questions on here, don't we? Is we Julio, is he bringing down the offense? No, obviously, this has been the story of baseball this week. 17 for 21 stretch, which is an MLB record. Nobody's ever recorded 17 hits in a series. And that comes after he had all those hits in Kansas City as well. I mean, it's just been incredible what he's been doing, especially against an Astros team where, again, the Mariners have had just nightmares playing in that park. Minute Maid Park has been a house of horrors for Seattle forever now. And Julio, oh, he didn't care about that this weekend. Remember, when Julio set a record, we mentioned it on Friday's episode where he had 12 hits in the Kansas City series and no Mariner had ever done that. Do we have to remind people that the Mariners also employed someone by the name of Ichiro Suzuki, who was well-known for getting a shit ton of hits. And Julio did something that he never did. And Ichiro, of all people, had never had 17 hits in a four-game span. Can you just think about that? Nobody ever in the history of baseball, not Ted Williams, not Babe Ruth, not Willie Mays, not Lou Gehrig, not Mickey Mantle. Man, I'm naming a lot of Yankees. Fuck, God, fuck them. Joe DiMaggio. You're still naming Yankees. Should I just run through Monument Park? Yogi Berra? Well, how about Barry Bonds? How about Hank Aaron? How about well, Pete Rose? Well, Barry, we know Barry Bonds walked too much. That's true. He did. Yeah. Point Man being, after our heart. Yes. We love walks. Walks are, walks are as good as a hit. Listen, we talk about Ichiro. If Ichiro ever strung together a series like this, he wasn't doing it with the authority that Julio was doing it with. Like the thump, the raw power, just everything. The slug. It was ridiculous. He took the Astros I mean he he took advantage of the Astros all series and it didn't matter to him he just he went out and did it can we I mean and we said right we said during that Astros series well is there any doubt who's gonna win AL player of the week we were like no and unsurprisingly here on Monday it was about as easy of an award as you can give out because he was the AL player of the week this week because nobody's gone on a stretch like this ever like you just said and we blink, and he's right back in the top 10 of the American League of wins above replacement. Just like that. A down season, right? 
let's just go through some of his numbers here. What he's done in a four-game stretch. So she, um, shout out to Addison for this, that Yankees World Twitter account. I, I have it written down here. What he did in a four-game stretch, this was from Wednesday through Saturday. His batting average went from 256 to 278. His OPS went from 751 to 800. His WRC Plus went from 111 to 125, so a 14% increase. And his F War, Fangraph's War, went from 3.7 to 4.8. That's the one that's most ridiculous of them all. His wins above replacement went over one in four games, aka he won this team more than an entire game on his own in a four-day stretch. Yeah, that's uh, pretty fucking bonkers. I don't think Milt Stock was doing that back in 1925. Oh, no, no, no. Not you, Milt Stock. Who did Milt Stock play for again? I honestly don't even remember. Is it the, what, what oh, it's the Brooklyn Robins, a team I, you know that doesn't exist anymore, right? Is that right? I'll take your word for it. I can't say I've ever heard of this guy. And I think I know my baseball history pretty well for the most part. I've never heard of this dude. Yeah, I haven't either, but Julio's out there breaking records. It's just it's just amazing. And we said it on Friday, so I'm just going to reiterate it because it remains true. The biggest acquisition, as they kept saying throughout the entire season of what ne- this roster needed to happen, was not only that the whole team start playing well, is that... How much better is this roster if Julio is just who Julio is? Well, we look at it now, and Julio's stats are pretty freaking close to what they were last year at this point, with better defense and a better roster around him, top to bottom. And would you look at that? Look at where the Mariners are. Currently two and a half games back. I don't think the Rangers are going to lose tonight to the Diamondbacks, so they'll probably still remain three games back in the division. But just look at what that's done, man. Like, it... Sometimes it is more simple than 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 we make it out to be. Similar to how they went on that 14-game win streak last year. That was when Julio got really hot, and the team just rode him. They're doing the same thing right now. We say it all the time. This team goes as Julio goes. And when he's playing like this, not that he's going to get 17 hits every series, but when he is playing at the level that everybody knows he's capable of playing, this team just motors. I mean, it takes so much pressure off of everybody else and as a result, guys are more relaxed, they're looser, they hit. Everybody's just rallied around Julio. Did Milt Stock also break up a fight during his streak, like Julio did? There's another thing Astros fans were mad about. There were Astros fans somehow mad that Julio restrained Framber Valdez from trying to swing at other Mariners, guys. Yeah, it was probably Caballero's fault for standing in the batter's box, right? He was in the way of the pitch. That's what was really at fault there. I love these Astros people that say Mariners have a reputation for this as if the Astros haven't thrown at the Mariners like five separate times in three seasons. Not like Framber hasn't already thrown at somebody this season for the exact same scenario of getting shelled and then taking his frustration out by buzzing someone. Sad. At least they didn't throw at Julio because I, I mean, I would have been fucking pissed if they threw at Julio, but Framber you know, decided to just take his anger out on the next person instead of like aiming for Julio's wrists, <clears throat> like something else that happened in Houston last year. <clears throat> Dude, what a great franchise, honestly. What a great franchise. I, I, I feel zero remorse for the pain and suffering they're going through. Absolutely none. Like, sorry. Pain and suffering is if they're not still holding a playoff spot. 
Yeah, and you know the freshest World Series tr- World Series trophy there is. Now I hope them in te- Texas spend the rest of the year just butting heads and pissing each other off, so Mariners don't have to worry about it, and they can just clean up business at the end of the year. Before we get to our second storyline, that was great stuff on Julio. A word from BetterHelp, a new partner. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless, if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world who has gone through a hard time, therapy gives you tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's what I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is a really important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can help you match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. That's better com slash marine layer pod. Clicking the link helps support this channel, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. So you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. Because finding a therapist is a little bit like dating. If you don't really fit with that therapist, which is a common thing in therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost without stressing about insurance, who's in your network, or anything like that. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash pod. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with the Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Second storyline here, TJ. Can the Mariners actually win the AL West? When you suggested this, I mean, it just seems bonkers. I'm just, I'm getting PTSD flashbacks of that last series with the Rangers, watching those two teams on the field and thinking, There's no way the Mariners will ever overtake this team. But we sit here tonight, and the best case scenario is the Mariners are three games back with a little bit over a month to play. Crazier things have happened. Fangraphs does not love the Mariners at this moment to win the division. They're sitting at just 20% to win the division. The Astros are at 39%. Or sorry, the Astros are actually at 41%, excuse me. And the Rangers are at 39%. So they're at about dead even splits to win the division right there. And the Mariners, they're hanging around right now in that division race. And it's not really impossible at this moment. It doesn't shock me that the Mariners' odds sit at 20% when they're still three games back. If they start to make up ground, those odds will go up. That's just how the Fangraphs projections work. A few weeks ago, the odds of the Mariners making the playoffs on Fangraphs were way under 10%. They had virtually no chance. And then they've started to rip off all these wins and it's gone up. Now, here we sit. Three games out on August the 21st, the Mariners are knocking on the door of the Rangers where 
you talked about it. That series down in Texas when Brian Wu made his debut, the things we were saying were along the lines of these two teams are not even in the same stratosphere. All of a sudden, that's not the case anymore. They are. And the Mariners have the schedule ahead of them to control their own destiny. Now, the final three weeks of their season is really tough in terms of the teams they're going to play, a handful or two of those games being the Rangers, but they're right. their work's cut out for them. They're right in front of them. If they go out and beat the Rangers the final few weeks of the season, there's no reason they can't win the AL West because there they are. It's there for the taking if they want it and if they can do it. The way the final 10 games are set up, where you have three at the Rangers, three at home versus the Astros, and four at home versus the Rangers. That stretch right there is what will win you or lose you the division. The Mariners need to get to that point and not collapse, right? That's step one. But the way they're playing right now, we're going to go ahead and almost assume that they make it to that point of the season and not fall flat on their face and out of reach, say, four games, because that would probably be pretty hard to make up in a 10-game stretch. So those two teams are battling within one to two games. Those three teams are battling within one to two games over that final 10-game stretch of the season for the Mariners. It's sitting there for the taking, because the Mariners are not going to win the division if they can't win those games, seven games against the Rangers at the end of this season, because realistically, that's who they're chasing right now. Now, the Astros could also turn it around and they still get the Mariners three more times and they have a chance to, you know, jump back over them if the Mariners overtake them at that point. So a lot hinges on that. You would need to win all three of those series, at least if not more to, to, to win that division emphatically, because that's what this, this schedule is setting up to be. There's going to be too much dependent on just taking care of your own business against the teams in your division. But here's what favors the Mariners. The Astros are not sitting on Mount Olympus compared to where the Mariners are the way that they used to. I always used to say it felt like climbing Mount Everest to try and beat the Astros every singular time they played them. It's not like that this year. Seattle's 8-2 and two against the Astros. They have not had issues with Houston this year. And then you look at the Rangers, they're kind of vulnerable right now. You're talking about a team that does not have Evaldi, does not have Josh Young, and they're 23-19? and 19? Over their last 42 games, they're not, they're not blowing the doors off people the way they were at the start of the season. The bullpen also hasn't been great for the Rangers either. We know that that's a strength for the Mariners. The Rangers have been a bottom five bullpen group over the last month. This team is very vulnerable right now. I'm not saying they're still not a good team. They are. But it's not quite the night and day difference between Seattle and Texas the way it was at the start of the year. And another thing the Mariners have going for them is the Rangers have the 13th hardest remaining strength of schedule. On the docket for the Rangers, they still got to play the Astros three more times. Of course, the Mariners seven more times. They have a four-game set with Toronto in the wildcard chase. Boston, uh, three games with Boston in the wildcard chase. Well, Houston took care of them tonight. The Twins, seven games. And of course, they're right in the middle of the set with the Diamondbacks right now. They also have some cupcakes as well. but. That's much different than what the Astros and Mariners get. The Mariners have now the 26th remaining strength of schedule, and the Astros have the 28th remaining strength of schedule. So it favors a little bit more Houston and the Mariners, not so much favor in the Rangers. We're going to see how that depth is tested for the Rangers. Their offense can really bail them out of a lot of sticky spots for missing a lot of guys. But, you know, as the season wears on, we're, we're going to have to see how well those bats continue to, to really carry it and 
specifically how Corey Seager could do, who's having, by the way, one of the more low-key MVP campaigns we've ever seen. I think he's just over 80 games this season, and he's the number two most valuable player in the American League, which is kind of bonkers. So they're going to need him a lot. Oh, his WRC plus is close to 200. Yeah. Yep. Like, if Otani didn't exist, Corey Seager might be the front runner for the MVP. With 30 less games played than everyone. It's ridiculous. I will say for the Rangers, too, to their credit and to be fair, I think they've gotten a little bit unlucky as of late, too. Their bullpen has been an issue, but their expected win-loss total right now, 103 wins. They're not on pace for that right now. So that says there's been some bad luck sprinkled in. But look, the Mariners have capitalized on that bad luck because when the Rangers have been losing games, the Mariners have been making up ground. How long this lasts? We'll see. There's no guaranteeing that the Rangers turn this thing around and all the luck starts to swing their way again. Luck is a fluky thing. So they're right there. If they keep this up, there's no reason they can't take advantage of the Rangers, who again, this part is also true, are vulnerable right now. They are not at full strength with that roster. And let me give you some context if you want want to be a little bit more optimistic as a Mariner fan. If they keep playing the way they're playing, I mean, this is the kind of ground you can make up on your opponents. Since July 1st, here's the ground the Mariners have made up on these teams. They made seven games up on Texas, five and a half games on Houston, six games on Toronto, four and a half on Boston. And now for fun, I'm going to let you guess how many games they've gained on the Angels in this same span. Ten. Twelve and a half. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, the good news is, you know who's going to save the Angels? Nolan Shonawell. That's dude. Did he play again today? Were they? No, they didn't play today, did they? It was a hurricane. For those. Yeah. Do you see those pictures of Dodger Stadium, by the way? Were those real? Yeah, I think they were real. Wow. Hmm. That's a big parking lot, I will say. Hmm. For those who don't know the name Nolan Shonawell, just for context. Nolan Shonawell was a first-round pick of the Los Angeles Angels a month ago. He was a first baseman out of Florida Atlantic playing in Conference USA. It's not like he was playing at Vanderbilt in the SEC. He gets drafted in the first round a month ago. They move him to double-A to start. A little bit aggressive, but it's not uncommon these days. He gets 97 big league plate appearances. He played in 21 minor league games, and then they decided to call him up. And bat him lead off. And bat him lead off in front of the best player on planet Earth. Incredible stuff. While they're already totally out of the race, by the way, the Angels. Desperation at its finest. I think the Mariners, sorry, the Angels have debuted their first round pick first four straight years, I think. Because Zach Neto did the same thing last year. But Neto had more time in the minors than this. At least Neto had some of last year in the minors, a.k.a. the second half of 2022, and then a little bit of 2023 here this year before his call-up. Rashawn Owell, 21 games? That is nuts. I mean, I think, I think that was borderline ridiculous what they did. And Maybe it's not even borderline, and it's just flat-out ridiculous what they did. And if you think of big leaguers in the draft and guys who you think, yeah, the guys who are going to be fastest to the big leagues, like Dylan Cruz... And Paul Skeens, neither of them are in double A yet, even. Like the two guys you would say are probably big leaguers. Is Cruz double A? Well, both of them just got called up. I don't think they played a game in double A yet at the time of this recording, but both of them have now been promoted to double A. Okay. But point well, that being, makes sense. Point being, two of the most high profile prospects in a decade are only in double A, where the Angels are telling Nolan Shonowell, yeah, you're, you're ready to make 
make your debut and go to the big leagues after 21 games in the minors. Yeah, go ahead. Did Perry Manation walk down into the clubhouse and put his arm around him and walk over to Shohei's locker and say, Shohei, this could be your future right here, buddy. And Sean Wells, like 21 years old, just like, oh, I'm nervous. That's Shohei Otani. <laughs> That's their savior. Now, you probably don't have this in front of you. Maybe after this show, we'll have to look how many games they've gained on the A's in this time too, the Mariners. Uh, a lot. Maybe 32? Dude, the A's are still not at 40 wins. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty absurd. That it might actually be pretty close to that. Yeah. Yeah, how many games? Are, honestly, I'm, I'm going to look right now. Oh, look. What's ridiculous is this team might actually get worse as years go on. Because, again, nobody's signing there now. And, I mean, we've talked about all this. That, But that's the point. Worse than a 37 to 40 win season is crazy. I don't know if we're ever going to see them put up like a 28 to 29 win season. But that would be ridiculous if that ever happened. Okay, so the Mariners right now are, what's the math here? 35 and a half games ahead of the A's. Now, how many have they gained since July 1st? I cannot do my math, that math on the, on the MLB app, but wow. I mean, seriously, just look at the AL West, man. 72 wins, 71 wins, 70 wins. The Angels even with a respectable 61 wins. Then the A's are at, you said not even at 40 wins. They're not even at 35 wins. 34 and 90. I mean, they could hit... They probably won't hit 100 losses before September, but man, they still could lose, what, 130 games right so now? They, could, they, they, they couldn't win much more, but no, that. So they could set the record still. Well, no, no, they could lose 128 games at this moment. If they lost every game from here on out, I think it would be 128. Right? Okay, so they, they won't break the record. That's quick math. I went to ASU, as you can see, watch on YouTube. Uh, not math was not my uh, specialty. It wasn't mine either. Now I don't have an ASU shirt on. I do have a Mariner shirt on. But speaking of apparel, let's tell you a little bit here about our friends at Simply Seattle. Make sure, guys, you go over and check out Simply Seattle. Go shop there as well. They have awesome Seattle sports merchandise. And if you do that, head over there and use code Marine15. You'll get 15% off of your purchase. Again, that's Marine15 to get 15% off. If you go over on YouTube and watch our latest podcast, the one before this episode that you're listening to and watching right now, I had that Ballard FC shirt on to play to our bit. I had to get a Ballard shirt and support a TJ. I was wearing it on the last show and it was from Simply Seattle. So if you guys thought that shirt was cool, then you should go to their site and check out even more of their stuff. They've got a bunch of Mariners stuff and it's awesome. So go do that. Simply Seattle. Use code Marine15. Pretty cool. Looking forward to Ian Furness. It was a fun conversation we'd had with Ian. Heard him on the radio a few times. Have never gotten to meet him until now. You were able to connect all of us together. And I'm really glad we're able to get Ian Furness on to uh, the podcast. Again, we really are making our rounds with the radio stations there in Seattle. I think it is our goal to get everybody on. But one by one, we're, uh, I think we're making good progress. And everybody's been awesome, which is why we've kept circling back to it all. Ian was great. We talked Mariners. We talked a little bit about his career at the end, which was cool. And he's a Seattle guy through and through. So I think we can all relate in that way. But it was fun. Now, this episode, or this interview, I should say, with him was recorded about a week ago. You'll hear him in the interview. He was watching that day's Mariners game while he was doing the interview with us. And I, it, in fact, I think at one point 
He was less than thrilled about that Bobby Witt inside the park homer. I think in the interview, you'll have to listen to yourself. He says, okay, Marlowe just made a bad error. It was Canzone, but tomato, tomato. Point being, interview was awesome with Ian. We had a bunch of Mariners talk. We talked about Julio. We talked about the big turnaround. It was awesome. I mean, he is he was a great interview. Really nice guy, insightful. And there's a reason we keep getting all these radio people on. They're great personalities. And the Mariners hadn't lost since we did the interview. So how about that? Ian's, uh, Ian's the good luck charm. So if you want to hear more of that good luck charm, let's get to our interview with Ian Furness. All right, we welcome on Ian Furness. He's the host of the Ian Furness Show on 93.3 KJR. I'm guessing it's been some happier shows the last couple of weeks, Ian, with the way the Mariners are rolling right now. So been a little bit better lately, yeah. It's uh, it's kind of fun. I do a weekly show with a couple of guys that uh, have a tendency to kind of go down the negative road. I've been a Mariner fan since 1977. I have the same feeling sometimes because when you watch uh, what we've watched for all those years, it's it's hard to always be positive. But yeah, all of a sudden, despite losing their first series in about a month or whatever it was to, to Baltimore. It's a, uh, you know, what, is, what do they say? All good vibes, right? All good vibes. Good vibes only. Good vibes only right now. It is good vibes only, especially with the way they've been rolling. But so you've been a Mariners fan since the moment they basically started. I mean, is it pretty wild to just see how far the team's even come from then to now, despite all the bad that's been mixed in between? Has it been pretty wild to just watch the kind of formation of this team since the moment they became a franchise well i think the the interesting thing honestly lyle is that they you know they've given us a lot more heartache than than fun times you know in the almost 50 years that they've been in existence it's for, for me as a fan you know and I, i'll separate myself from you know talk show host or tv guy to, to just fan for me as a fan you know you love them and then you love to hate them because they give you so much frustration at times and they've been that way since day one. I mean, remember, it was like this minor miracle and they finally got to 500. And then they immediately, you know, for the first time ever, not the playoffs, they got to 500. And what did they do? They fired their manager, Jim Lefevre. That, that, like, he gets the first guy ever to get to 500. They fire him. I mean, that would, that sums up who the Mariners are in a heartbeat. Now, I know pre, a different ownership, all that stuff, different GM. But think, and then they went the next season and they lost 100 games with Bill Plummer as their, as their manager. So, those are the Mariners. Like that's who and what they are. It's in their DNA to frustrate us, um, to have a weekend with Felix in which you just go ahead and pretend like Felix is still pitching for you. And instead you do it to George Kirby. You don't get a, don't get a run in nine innings. I mean, my God, that's just who they are, but you know, we still love them. Uh, it's having a baseball team. I've worked in a couple markets without a baseball team. I know TJ's down in Oregon. It's, it sucks if you don't have a major league team. I worked in Portland. I worked in Salt Lake. I, I'll take our bad baseball team or our frustrating baseball team or right now our pretty good baseball team over not having one any day of the week. So how do you how turn yourself into more of an optimist after seeing them from the beginning? And as you just mentioned, I mean, there couldn't have been a worse franchise until 95. Then they have the run of success. And then you have where Lyle and I come into the picture uh, starting in 1998, you know, don't really remember much until they started being really atrocious in the in the mid 2000s and then into the 2010s as well. Until we finally got into this point now, how do you sort of turn that turn that page? <laughs> I don't know if I can. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure if I can because it's it's you know I know who they are. I know what their DNA says, and it's like we're still going to disappoint you in the end. I mean, even last year you get to the playoffs and really you can't scratch a run across in 18 innings. I mean, come on, it, it's um, but you, I, I think that because the thing with baseball that's fun, the major league baseball is great. There's still always hope. Like there's always hope. It's a long enough season where, 
you know, I now listen, the Mariners are playing the Kansas City Royals this week and there are 80 plus losses when they start the week against Seattle before the four games. So there are times or, or Oakland, right? Uh, teams like that, that just, there is no hope. And we've been there way too many times. For the last three years, we've had hope. Um, you know, they, I think what you just want to do is you want to see them take us into August and September. And, and this year, for sure, they're going to go into September for the third year in a row and, and give us an opportunity. And we saw what it was like. We saw what this city and this community was like when they got to the playoffs and, you know, the 21 long years are over and all those things. And when they finally got there, it was phenomenal. It was great. We got to the playoffs and, you know, we got a taste of it. It's, it's unfortunate what Major League Baseball did not to, to dwell on this, but my God, really, you're going to give us our first three playoff games, four playoff games, I guess it was one, two, three, four, five, whatever they ended up being. Everyone was a day game. Like every single one was a day game. People work here, man. This is the West Coast. Like you couldn't squeeze out a, a night game for us, but. Um, they give us hope. This is a team that was exceedingly frustrating this year. They just screamed 500 all year. And then all of a sudden, you know, some of the offense caught up with the great pitching. And, and here we are with a, a playoff race yet again, which is a lot of fun. Are we really shocked that Major League Baseball opted to put the Yankees in primetime, though? Are, are we shocked? No, no, no. But but there were West Coast games needed. And when they fi- now here's a problem is they didn't get to, you know, to the West Coast until uh, that Saturday afternoon, you know, in the middle of college football season going head to head with college football. But that that's that's on them. Um, you know, I'm hopeful this year that they, they get to the play- playoffs and right now looks very much like a wild card team. But if they do and they get past that first round, which, you know, you want to finish third and take on Minnesota and smack them in the face and then, you know, move on to the next playoff series and hopefully you'll get something that at least at four or five o'clock at night, let us all watch it instead of <laughs> instead of people having to skip school or, or work or what have you. If we're going to dive into what the last few weeks of the Mariners have looked like, which has really turned their season around to this point, even if you want to look at that series against the Orioles during Felix weekend where they ended up losing two of three when you break that series down, am I crazy to say that the Orioles, despite having the best record in the American League at this point, don't look all that much better than the Mariners? I mean, the two teams were pretty neck and neck. They were, but I think that's the difference between, you know, what we see around baseball right now. At least in the American League, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't watch much National League baseball at all. I mean, I, I focus in on our team and what's going on around them, but I think that's, I think you see, you know, fatal flaws with every team. I, I think, you know, as good as Baltimore is and as the season they're having, same thing with Texas, you know, great season, but you can find with Texas, it's health, uh, depth of pitching. I mean, there's some things you look at there. Uh, certainly with Baltimore, um, you know, Seattle's got better starting pitching. There's no doubt. Well, Seattle's got better, the top three guys for Seattle better than anybody in the league. I mean, that's just pure, that's just, that's a, that's a fact. Um, Seattle has holes in this lineup, though. Like, let's not forget that. There are holes in the lineup. Even if Crawford is healthy and back, which he's not right now, obviously, even if, uh, you know, our, our favorite place kicker, Jared Kelnick, is coming back and, and he's back there, there's still some holes in the lineup. Mike Ford's not a, he's not a designator. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez has been a massive disappointment. Uh, the great thing now is, though, you know, JP's having a, a career offensive year. Suarez is starting to heat up and leads the team still with RBIs. And Julio's looking like the guy they paid a zillion dollars to all of a sudden. And so they do have some guys, France is heating up. They have some guys that are getting going. I'm not sure, you know, I mean, I know they accounted for most of the runs this weekend, did uh, Rojas and, and Ken's own, but, you know, those guys aren't going to give you too much. There, there's still too many holes in this lineup. There's too many Haggerty, Dylan Moore, you know, uh, I like Cade Marlowe. Maybe, you know, maybe he'll be something. But uh, they still have holes, but so does every other team. That's why when you get – that's why you just want to get there. Like, just get there because with those three starters, whichever order you want to pick, probably Kirby, Castillo, Gilbert, 
man, you, you're going to be a hard out, man. You're going to be a hard team to beat. Is there someone in this lineup besides Julio you're really looking at? To, to kind of carry the mail? Yeah. Like an air, like, like hey, a true, like, pick it up, buddy. You got this. Well, I think, I mean, Teoscar Hernandez, I guess, would have to be that guy. Somebody, listen, J.P. Crawford's having a terrific season. And I, I, the, the inner child in watching for years, Mariner fan in me says, well, that'll come to an end at some point. It's not. He's having a great year. And so, like, let's, let's say you can count on Julio. You can count on J.P. France is okay, and, but better lately, obviously. I mean, Teoscar Hernandez is the guy that you have to think is at some point is going to give you something. He hasn't given you anything. I mean, not consistently. Um, you know, I think what was a stat I just saw the other day in strikeouts per walks. I think there's a Mariner pitcher and it might be, might've been Miller, but I, I, anyway, there's a Mariner pitcher that like in the last couple of weeks has 42 strikeouts and four walks. And, and that's basically what Teoscar's had at the same, same time. So four walks and 50 strikeouts. I mean, so he's got to be better. He just has to be, um, if, if this team's going to take a run in the playoffs. And so let's hope that happens. You know, if if we continue to look at what the Mariners bring to the table, you just mentioned the starting pitching, right? That if mm-hmm. they can just get there, if they can just get into the playoffs, they've got a shot. Every team has flaws in the American League, like you just yep. outlined. But in terms of the starting pitching, is there anybody that's set up better for the Mariners in no. terms of the postseason? No, that's but that's and that's the key. Honestly, Lyle, that's the key. Like like the holes that the Mariners have are in the lineup. You can overcome those in a short series. If your pitching's lights out, you can scratch across a couple of runs. You're fine. I, if you say like, what's your choice? Would you rather have you know a lineup? Nobody has a nine man lineup that you feel great about, right? Liz? But would you rather have like seven guys you feel really good about offensively and a so so pitching staff, I, I, or the other way around? I'll take the pitching staff because they can go out there and shut you down and win every night. And then you add the best bullpen in baseball, probably. Um, even if they're getting taxed and even if the seawall has changed, everyone's moved up a little bit in terms of how much leverage they've got. I mean, look at Sacido. What a great story. Like a year, like at the start of the year, the first three months, first of all, he wasn't here. Uh, they sent him down. Then they bring him back up. I don't even think he was on a 40 man at the start of the season. I think he was down, down. They bring him up, put him on the 40 man, bring him up. He's never in a high leverage situation. I mean, he is the ultimate just mop up. Okay. You know, games out of hand one way or the other. Let's go, go eat an inning or two for us guy. Now, all of a sudden, this is a high-leverage left-hander. I mean, it's remarkable what they get out of their bullpen. It really is, you know. I mean, Topa, Spire, um, you know, Thornton had his problems on Sunday. But they got dudes, man. And, and you know, I love Saucedo coming out. He's got he's got a little little inner, you know, something in him that uh, I like, you know. And, obviously, Munoz, when he's on, there's no better slider in the game. So, I'll take the pitching over what, what other teams don't have any day of the week. You can, you, can, you can give me a team that's got one or two more bats than Seattle, but I'll take their pitching all day. We're talking about how they shape up against other teams, and Lala have talked about this over the last couple of weeks, about where they need to be at a certain point in the schedule. It can be kind of unfair to set points yeah. two months in advance. You know, we got a month and a half left of the season, but they're about to enter a really easy stretch of their schedule before they go in the final two and a half, three weeks of just brutal baseball, including the final 10 against the Rangers and the Astros. I would say at what point do they need to be in a playoff spot? After the next, I think it's the next 16 games, I believe, yeah. are mostly against Kansas City, Chicago White Sox, Oakland, right? I think that's the, I, there might be three mixed in with Houston, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm keeping track of 
you know, like what my football looks like these days too, and where I got to be Seahawk wise. But I think that I, I think it's the next sixteen are the key. Uh, and so, let's say you're eleven and five, ten and four over those next sixteen, and then you hit that stretch that TJ you mentioned. Then you, I think you want to be in at least wild card three by, and, and maybe at least clear by a couple of games. Just you got to be there at some point. I mean, then you just. You still have to win games. You know, you can't, that's, you know, we can't assume they're going to lose all the way out. But I mean, I think, I think you want to be wild card three sometime in the next week to 10 days. I think what we said about it is entering that final two and a half, three week stretch with that just nightmare of a schedule. Yeah. If they can have some sort of two to three game cushion, if it's possible, over Toronto going into that stretch, I think that's about the target range where fans can feel somewhat comfortable about it i just think if it's going to be within a game or two going into that stretch if they're a game out or a game and a half out there's going to be challenges well but look at toronto's schedule it's craptastic when it's kind of the opposite of seattle's um you know i think right now seattle's got the the easy schedule then toronto they flip-flop like in the next couple three two three weeks two and a half weeks i think they flip-flop and then Mm -hmm. toronto gets a really easy schedule so Hopefully two or three would be good enough, you know, assuming, I mean, the only game and a half out is, is we're taping this right now. So, I mean, that can change in two days. That can change quickly. But yeah, I don't know if you'll ever feel comfortable until you get, it's almost like you're playing match playing golf until you're finally like, you know, up three with two to go. Like you got a three, two, whatever it is, right? Like, like three, up three holes with two left to play. You win three, two. I think if you're up three games with two games left to go, then we'll feel comfortable. But I think Mariner fans know all too well that comfort's not in our – that's not in our repertoire, man. And if it's going to be anything like the last two seasons were, it's probably going to come right down to the wire. I mean, even think about last year. They did it with a few days to go, but mm-hmm. that Royal Series at the end of the year where they blew that huge lead and everybody's yeah. starting to sweat and get nervous that they might let the lead go toward the end of the season. It just seems to be in their DNA. I mean, not only do they play all these close games over the last three years, but it just seems like, especially the way the season's <laughs> going – and the way they've kind of fared over the last couple of seasons, they're going to be having fans on the edge of their seat come that last weekend. Well, and you, you remind us of the, the Kansas City series. Yeah, like I, we're all kind of making this assumption that they're going to win the next few weeks or the next couple of weeks, right, against those teams. And that's that's probably a leap of faith in a sense too. Uh, you know, I mean, they start the season out. They started a four-game series out in Kansas City by falling behind 3 nothing. Now, I mean, they got three-plus games, four games left, and they could start – but – that's like they're very capable of of also coming out and looking like the team that was that we saw in was it June they were nine and seventeen right I mean it's just it's like they had losing month winning month losing month now winning month and on the way to another winning month they they're very capable of coming out and and you know over the next sixteen also going six and ten that could that could easily happen as well if you don't get the, your elite pitching and I'm sure that's going to go over perfectly well with with the fan base. Perfect. Oh, uh, well, I mean, your show would get some very rational takes with that. Yeah, especially my Monday show with our Molly Wap guys, who are the most irrational people in the world. We love them to death. <laughs> and as I as we're saying this, I'm watching Mike Ford just, you know, miss a pitch, like completely miss it and pop it up. And it's like, dude, you, you great story early, but you're just not good enough right now. And you know, and they're, they're I mean, again, I, I know we're taping this thing, and, and people listen later. We're five innings in. They're getting no hit. See, I said it. We can we can jinx it, right? They're, they're, they're getting no <laughs> there hit. There we go. <laughs> they're getting no hit by Kansas City, for God's sakes. That just it's, it's it's whatever happens to this game doesn't even matter. It, it's that's who they are. Like they and we saw the last couple of games. They went you know ten innings without scoring on Saturday. They went 
Uh, they scored two runs in 10 innings yesterday. So now we're 5, 14, 15. What are we, like 25 innings and they've scored two runs and counting? Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> Making me feel uneasy again. They seem to have a tendency to do that, don't they? They do. They do. It's just it's, it's who and what they are. But again, but then they can go like what we saw the other night. You know, when they scored, what was it, five in the eighth? Um, you know, the, Raleigh hits a home run that may may still be in orbit somewhere, and, and then they just tack on, like just add on, add on, add on. I mean, they're that's baseball, but that's also kind of who they are. They feel like it feels like don't I don't know what you guys think. It just always kind of feels like they score in bunches, like like, and you think the offense is cured, it's ills, and then you realize no, they just had a big, big inning. You know, and then you look at the you look at the line. It's like zero 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 eight zero 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 one. You know, and like, oh, hey, they scored nine runs. Well, yeah, they scored eight one run in one inning. You know, that's kind of how they operate. It's funny you say that because that first game in the Orioles series where they won nine to two, mm-hmm. there's like a little part of you in the back of your head that maybe is thinking, save some runs for the rest of the series, guys. Even though that's probably not sound logic. Yeah. But then in reality, you turn around and. They're not scoring runs the rest of the series. So, yeah, like they, you said, they do score them in bunches. Because then they win, they won the series in cumulative numbers, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> outscored the Orioles by by thirteen runs the entire season and only won two of the games. Yeah, if it be if it was if it was uh, you know soccer, you know European soccer, and we'd be like, hey, you know what? The aggregate score they're really good. We're, we're in good shape here. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Are there many teams in baseball that go as their superstar goes the way Julio does? Because every team has their star. I mean, you look at Acuna with the Braves. You look at Aaron Judge with the Yankees. There's so many examples of it across the league. Well, you hit but the last one. Look- it's Judge. It's, I mean, look, look, look what the Yankees okay. were without Judge. I mean, they, sure. were, they were just a shell, and it just trickled down, right? They were because mm-hmm. Stanton is – is just a rotting carcass of his former self. I mean, I don't know what who he is. I mean, he's just. He, but when they took when Judge was out of the lineup, and then remember the Yankees came to Seattle, mm-hmm. they were and they had a couple other guys out that that series too. But without him, that's a true aircraft carrier, man. You 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 that guy carries the whole boat, and mm-hmm. you know I think he's one. I think certainly there's no doubt that Otani is. I mean, they're barely hanging on to playoff life, and that's because this guy's got 41 bombs. And oh by the way, he goes every five every five days he throws. And it gives you a chance to win there too. But um, yeah, I'd say Julio's probably right there. I mean, and that's why they're paying him, right? That's why they're paying him the money starting, you know, next year or whatever it is with that contract because they know he has to carry the, the freight. You know, Suarez did his best earlier in the year. Um, he didn't, wasn't hitting for power, hasn't hit for power like he did last year at all. Um, but he is driving in runs. I know some baseball people don't think RBI is a stat that should matter, but I mean, Suarez is kind of helping the cause. But yeah, it's, it's Julio and, you could probably look across and find a lot of teams. I think, well, you know, Rushman didn't have a great series, right? I know your DJ's down in Corvallis. Like, he didn't have a great series, right, against Seattle. And you could kind of see that. I thought I thought without him being really good, uh, he left some guys in scoring position a couple times, and you could kind of see the trickle-down effect that he has, too. I think that's another guy. You've seen a lot of baseball, and you've seen a lot of the Mariners' stars for how few they've had in their franchise history. You have seen the very best one. And we've now seen a year of half and a half of Julio. So where do you think his standing is or will be when we look out in the future of, 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 of franchise, like Mariners, let's say Mariners greats. And then how he, how he's looked, looked upon at the league as well. Well, I think, I think he definitely has the ability. It's, it's so early in the career, but I mean, he's got a hall of fame trajectory. There's no doubt. I mean, he's got that in him. He's, 
he's as gifted as they come. Um, you know, I mean, the obvious, the obvious comparison is junior, um, you know, because there's some similarities to him, the speed, the power, um, you know, it's interesting when junior came from Muller high school in Cincinnati and, and rolled in and, you know, played his season in Bellingham and then half a season elsewhere before he got hurt. And then he comes up to Seattle as a 19 year old or whatever it was. He, he was already considered to be an elite defender and an elite center fielder. Well, remember last year, all the talk was Julio can't play center field. Well, I, I don't know about you guys. I sure see a gold glove caliber center fielder there. He may not have as strong an arm as junior. I think people forget that junior had an absolute hose, man. He could, he could, he could let a rip from, from deep, but, um, but he's this, and he's still, he's not as refined yet as junior in the outfield, but, um, I think there's, I mean, if you just kind of put them side by side, I mean, he's got an ability, he's got the, he's got the, he's got the talent, uh, to be at that level. Can he mentally handle it? You know, junior was so cocky, um, and so arrogant that if he did hit a slump, it didn't matter because he knew how good he was. I guess we don't really, you know, we saw Julio struggle at the start of the season this year. Obviously last year when he was a rookie, it was different, but I think, yeah, with, with what and who Julio is, you know, mentally, that's probably the only challenge for him because he's got every other tool. That's almost what I look at in terms of, I guess, when I pose the question of does this team go as Julio goes or how much of a aircraft carrier he is, because you just look at how the Mariners have played the last month. It, does, it just doesn't feel like a coincidence that when he's gotten going the way he has since the start of July, this team looks totally different than they did in April, May and June. Yeah. Um, by the way, again, I know we're taping this, but I just saw they'll call it an inside. I don't know if they'll call it inside the park home run, but wow. I thought Teoscar Hernandez was bad in the outfield, but Kate Marla just had a Hernandez like play. Uh oh. Yeah. That's, that's something. Um, anyway, play by play. Wow. You, I mean, sh- you're a, pl- you're a play by play sh- guy, Ian. I'm just shaking my head right now. I mean, Logan Gilbert's got to be going, what are you doing, man? Like that's a, I think I got caught in the lights. Anyway, uh, what was the question? I'm sorry. I'm just still amazed by what I just saw. I, major league level. My God. Um, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing this highlight when we get off this. I mean, I was just talking about how, again, it just doesn't feel like a coincidence that as Julio's gotten going since the start of July, yeah, no, the team it, as a whole, how they've just taken well, off since then. Go back to our conversation with, with Aaron Judge. Like that one hammer in the lineup, what, what can that one guy do for you? Like right. he can care, he carries everybody else and protects everybody else. I mean, that was, you know, for for you know for Julio, you know, is there you know is there protection around him? You know, I think that's why they need Tay Oscar uh, to be better. I mean, obviously they're batting him, you know, lead off sometimes, so it's a little bit different with JP out. When JP's back and he's hitting lead off again, is you know Julio's number two? You know, is your number three guy more than likely France? Um, is he going to give you protection? Um, but Julio, I, I just I. When you have a guy that can hit for power, uh, when he can drop one into the gap, and you know he's going to get an extra base on it. Um, he's a really good base runner. I think that's underrated sometimes in baseball too. He reads the ball well. All those things. He's he, yeah, he he carries you. He absolutely flat out carries you, and that's that's pretty awesome to see because he's just a guy. He's just a baby man. He's just a kid. And and I, I I'll just the one thing I'll, I'll point out with him. And I'm not around those guys every day. I was around Junior quite a bit. I was working at Como TV and working as a sports producer when Junior was here. So I was around. We we did a lot of stuff down at the Kingdom, and we were around Junior a lot. Um, I'm not around 
Julio on a day-to-day basis, but from what I can see from afar, there's a massive difference. Junior, I don't know if he liked being Ken Griffey Jr. in terms of the spotlight. and he, I don't know if he embraced everything. I don't think he ever embraced being the franchise. Um, he knew how good he was. I think he just would, was happy just to go out and, you know, play grab ass with guys and, you know, go, go do his thing and then move on. Julio understands his role. And maybe he, maybe he saw that from Felix all those years, um, from afar. Um, you know, whoever it's been, maybe, maybe that's where he's seen it, but Julio seems to embrace the role. He embraces the face of the franchise. And I just love that. I mean, I just absolutely love that. Uh, you know, the scene this year with giving the ball to the kid in Baltimore, Junior would never do that. And I know sometimes people think I disparage Junior a little bit. I just, he just was different, man. This, the kid played, Julio plays with a sense of, of real joy, not fake joy, not I'm showing off for my dad's buddy's joy. Um, no, this, this dude plays because he's having fun. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot more Felix in terms of personality in Julio than there is Junior. In fact, if you want to put them side by side, Julio is is Felix. Like he just enjoys it. He, he embraces the crowd. You watch you guys watch how he how he basically interacts with the fans in center field every game. It's awesome. Like that's fantastic. You know, so many guys just ignore the fans. They just they don't they don't interact. They don't acknowledge. He's the opposite. And just think about the King's Court back in the day. That's what that's what made Felix great. Is he had a connection, a true connection with the fans. Not a, hey, I'm far away from you and I'm better than you connection. No, he had a true connection with the fans. I think you see that with Julio too. And I think that can carry you mentally. Ian, you were talking about your time at Como and and your time that you spent around Junior, which I feel like is a decent transition here as we wanted to ask a little bit about you, especially as two people who are in the early stages of being in sports media themselves. How did you decide you wanted to get into it all those years ago? <laughs> oh, wow. How long is the podcast? Um, <laughs> so my dad was a news anchor at KOMO TV back in the 70s and the 80s. And so I grew up around broadcast journalism. My mom was a journalist as well, uh, print. Uh, she's a great writer. And so I was around it. I hung out with my dad at the TV station a lot just as a young kid, just kind of just hungry and thirsty. I just love TV news. And so I started getting, you know, uh, when I w- went to college, uh, after my first year, I got a job, um, at Como and I was basically, I came in, I was a, what they called a production assistant at the time. Basically you drive, you pull cables. I mean, it was the most grunt of grunt work you could ever have. Bottom of the floor, bottom of the barrel stuff that guys these days couldn't even fathom doing, uh, you know, following a cameraman around and picking up cables and rolling cables and coax and everything else. And, but I was in, you know, and I did that every summer, every Christmas break, Thanksgiving break, Easter break, uh, all through college. And, you know, there's enough downtime in TV news. I kind of taught myself how to edit. And, um, although I couldn't do it as well these days because the machinery is different. It's all computerized, but, you know, like in the old BB 800s and I was loving it. And so I kind of, I, I thought I was always going to be a news person and, um, majored in poli sci of all things, not even journalism. Cause I kind of had the practical experience at Como, but, um, when I drove a live truck for two years out of college and again, a lot of downtime, I just started hanging out in the sports office, the sports, the TV sports office with a legendary sportscaster from Seattle named Bruce King. And, uh, he, they had an opening for a producer at night, uh, to produce for Bruce, the nightly sportscast. And, um, I groveled and begged and pleaded and, you know, had, had done enough. And they said, we'll give you a shot. And, 
uh, basically just kind of writing scripts and it evolved from that. And so I did that for a few years and at some point decided I want to get in front of the camera or in front of the mic myself and uh, started doing volunteering with the Thunderbirds hockey, um, doing some stuff with them, studio work, intermission, stuff like that. And that evolved into hockey play-by-play and that moved me around to different places and Tri-Cities and Salt Lake City. And that's Salt Lake City. I got into sports radio as well. That was just kind of an instant infancy and still dabbled in TV with Fox Sports Rocky Mountain with uh, play-by-play and Went from there to Portland and then Portland to Seattle. And, and when I got back to Seattle, I didn't do any TV in Portland, but I got to Seattle and to do to work at KJR and then uh, started working at Fox 13 because I'd had the experience in TV. And, and uh, so here we are today. How'd you decide on like what, like which niches of, of which I would say forum you were going to do? Um, they decide for you when I say they, the man, uh, they decide, I mean, I, I, I was, I grew up in TV. Like I really grew up, I grew up in television and I grew up, um, you know, like I said, I, I did everything. I've done everything in TV, man. Back before we had these things called live views and DeGeros and all the, the equipment we have now for, to do, you know, TV live shots. Um, which basically looked like a small backpack back then we had these big trucks with microwave dishes and, you know, it was a, it was a big deal to go live for the news at night. But, uh, I did all that. I was able to, you know, technically my, my, actually it's funny. My, the guy who's my sports photographer at Fox 13 now, guy by the name of Steve Shramick, he was at my wedding, one of my best friends. We worked together at Como pulling cables and doing, setting up live shots. And now he's one of the best sports photographers on the West coast. And, um, and I work with him, you know, covering the Seahawks and other sports. So, um, you know, I, I love television. I love writing stories. I love producing TV. I love, you know, uh, you know, turning and burning, a, a you know, one minute and 30 second, you know, package with four sound bites that you had to figure out, find, cut and track and write around and writing around sound, writing around video. I love that. And then I got away from it for a long time because, I, you know, I started doing the hockey play by play. And, um, like I said, that took me elsewhere. And then, you know, sports radio started evolving and becoming a thing where you could make a good living at it and, and make a career out of it. I kind of evolved into that, but I always still wanted to do TV. So I was lucky when I got back to Seattle. Um, there were some opportunities at Fox 13 about 15 years ago. And, um, you know, I jumped into that and I do just enough TV news and TV sports. I do just enough where I can, you know, walk away from it and, you know, a couple, three times a week more during the football season and, and you know, radio's full time. So, uh, I was talking to somebody about that the other day. I think I'd be, I think I'd be bored if I just did one thing, you know, to be honest with you. Um, you know, some people are radio guys or gals and some people are TV people. I, I like to think of myself as doing both. Um, cause I enjoy both for different reasons, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm really lucky. I, I honestly, I, I think of that all the time. I'm really lucky because I'm one of the few in this market that does do, you know, multiple things and, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. How tough to navigate is it doing a show every day on your own? I mean, what I like about TJ and I is we can bounce things off each other right. a lot, but yeah. you do a show on your own every day, which is a totally different thing. Yeah, I do, but I have people with me. Like I've always had, you know, I have a producer, Justin McIntyre, who's just incredible and phenomenal producer. And I'll, I'll bank stuff off of her. She kind of acts as a sidekick. Although she's also our assistant program director, so I'll find my – she'll sit in the studio and she'll be – I think she's engaged and then she's putting out a fire because she's kind of <laughs> has to do the management side. And uh, But then I have another producer named Anders um, Hurst who's just phenomenal too. And so actually when – my favorite show is when the three of us are there and we just, you know, we kind of go around the horn like you guys just said. 
Um, but yeah, there's times when I'm solo for two hours and I've done sh- solo shows for three hours and you just have to find, you know, content and figure out a way to, to, to make it compelling, you know, mix in a good guest here or there and, and away you go. It just, it comes with time. It's, you know, you guys, I can tell, do a great job. I can just tell, you know, just by doing this in, in the last 30 minutes with you guys, you guys, you guys have it. You got the chops to do it. You understand what it is. I, I, I we were in Portland. You'll love this, man. One of the cherries we used to do in Portland, they would have people bid on, um, hey, they, you can host an hour of radio. On back then, we were, were we the ten eighty the fan, I guess it was. They're still in the business. It's still there's still a sports station there, but ten eighty the fan. Yeah. So you build on, you, yeah, you you bid on an hour of doing sports radio, and we always we let them do it. So like I think we had two or three winners a year, and and you know one or two guys would two guys would come in, and they do we let them do like six to seven like slow time of the year, like December when you're kind of out of the book. And, you know, every now and then you say, hey, do you want us to stick around with you? No, no. Guys always say no. And it was the best thing ever because, you know, our poor producer would have to sit there and with them and guys would fire off like five minutes of content and look at the clock and they'd say, do we break now? And oh, you got 20 more minutes, man. Like, it's just because people would script stuff out. You know, it has to be conversational. And you know, that's why podcasts are great because they're conversational. Um, and, you know, I think if you can do a podcast, uh, you can probably do radio as long as it's, you know, in terms of the talk format because of the conversation mode. It's just the difference is you got to know how long you can go, when you break and all those things. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> doing the show by myself. No one really truly does a show by themselves. I mean, Colin Coward likes to think he does. I worked with him in Portland, you know, but he has to always have somebody at Joy Taylor for all those years. And now he's got the his little minion next to him that doesn't know anything. But it's it's they they they. Uh, you know, that's what you do. Like you got, you always have somebody you can kick something off of. Cause if one person is speaking for, for two straight hours, it'd be really hard to listen to no matter how good compelling they are. Here's a fun fact, Lyle. Usually when you're, when you are hosting radio, you, and you just start talking, it's really hard to stop. Cause you just, you just keep going. And it just, it seems like the ideas just, just don't stop until you look up at the clock and you're like, oops, I'm, yeah. I'm behind. <laughs> if you, if you have those, if you have that, that's a good thing to have. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, part of it too is like my, I think one of our interns, I think in Brandon Sprague, I think interned for us for a while and he's hosting down in Portland now. Um, but it, it, yeah, like if you have enough content, I, th- there's guys that do like, I don't want to say scripted out, but they have like their show plan to the second, um, and like detailed notes. And I just think if you're prepped, and you have a few things you jot down, then you should be able to riff away and, and just do your thing. Um, you know, the, it's different. The, the format sports radio has evolved. When mm-hmm. I first got into it in Salt Lake back in the like 99, 98, 99, um, when I was doing it there, it was like we were caller dependent. Like it was like, boy, if people weren't calling the, the radio station, we were dead. Um, everything was like, you know, give us a call right now. Give us a call. Please give it. Please give us a call now. Nobody uses phone calls. Like it's rare. Like it's very rare to use phone calls. Um, you know, we do things called like they call it a voice text or a talk back or, you know, using the app where people can leave a message 30 seconds. And that's good because you can kind of filter through. Cause I think part of it is people don't want to listen to, you know, Joe Blow call in. They want to hear what the host of the guests have to say. Or if they do, they want it to be really quick feedback. So, that part of it's evolved too, because everyone used to be really dependent on phones. And you, every day you'd wake up and say, "What topic do I have that I know will drive a phone call? Like, what will I? Yeah, what will I do? Can I find a topic that will? And it can't be what our competition here does all the time. And what's the Mount Rushmore of sports? Even though they do it like once a week, it's no. You got to actually have a topic that people sink their teeth into. 
And if you can do that, um, you know, that was back in the day. Now it's different. You find a good topic and then maybe they'll send text feedbacks and you kind of read them real time and things like that. But so it's really evolved. It's really the, the format itself has really evolved quite a bit. The way you just described it right there confirms my notion, which it's pretty much confirmed all that way elsewhere, but that my station in, in our live programming is very, very much in the past in, in terms of, of what our programming is. Cause the only <laughs> live show we do 100% operates around, around phone calls and stuff. I mean, there are guests, but when there, when there aren't phone calls, I mean, it is, uh, sorry, when there are guests, it's very, uh, very phone call dependent. So yeah, we got a, we mean, got a little bit of, of structure to, uh, to, to sort through. I would, if you have a text line, that's the best thing to do because people yeah. will text. I mean, you guys mm-hmm. are young. You, you know, I mean, when's the last time you called somebody? You don't call anybody. You just text them. Right. And then that's, and that's, people will have no problem sending you feedback via text line. That's, that happens all the time. So yeah, I think you just got to use that to be honest with you. If I had one last question for you, Ian, we've asked a couple of radio hosts this, but I wanted to pick your brain about it. Is there an interview you've done in your career? And it could be TV or radio. That is your favorite you've ever done, whether it was on the funny side, whether it was on the in-depth side, you can take it however you want. Do you have mm. a favorite interview? Wow. Uh, hmm. I've been asked this a few times and I, I, I really should do myself and whoever I'm with a favor and actually think about this better um, and come up with something. I, I'll, I can tell you who I like to interview, to be honest with you. Um, when I was, you know, when the Seahawks were in their heyday and we were, you know, we were their TV partner and we we're doing post game every day. Uh, I loved interviewing Doug Baldwin. I loved interviewing Michael Bennett and I loved interviewing KJ Wright and for very, for all for different reasons, but different nuances. But the, the main reason was this, like when I did a post game interview with those guys, I had to bring my A game. I couldn't just ask them, hey, big win, how do you feel? Or I couldn't give today's favorite sideline reporter question, hey, talk about. Because if I did do that with those guys, if I didn't give them something tangible, they'd let me know about it. And, and like Bennett would just look at me and, you know, like, you're better than that. Like, do better than that. You know, Doug would just shake his head and go, no, next. Like, he, they were really challenging guys to talk to KJ's really thoughtful, but the same thing. He'd be like, man, you know, better than that. Like they all would challenge you as a, as a broadcaster. And I love that to be honest with you, because it brought out the best, you know, or at least should bring out the best in who I was. Um, so those guys were all guys that I, I loved to interview. So like, you know, one single favorite interview. Yeah. I'll have to think about that and text you back a while. Cause I can't think of one right now, but like in terms of guys, I like to interview those dudes always, you know, and, and really any, any guests that I have on, um, I want to have somebody that, that makes me think as well that I can't just, you know, so- throw them a softball and let them riff for like 25 minutes. I want somebody to give me something good. And, and that's, that's on me as doing as the person doing the interview. And part of it is, you know, and as you guys, you know, get deeper into the business and learn this is, you know, you'll learn who you can, you know, who you have to really kind of bring it with. And you know who's going to give you good stuff if you dig into it and, you know, be conversational. Don't just, you know, ask a question. But, you know, and, and a lot of us do have a poor habit of leaving things open-ended. And there's some guys you can do that with, you know, leaving an open-ended question. Um, but have it be, even if it's open-ended, make sure there's something there that they can comment on. 
doesn't have to be a question, but that they can comment on it. Um, you know, I, every, every guy you talk to is different. You guys are doing different radio hosts or journalists and stuff on the podcast. Everybody you guys talk to is different. Every player you talk to when you go to T-Mobile is different. Um, you know, you got to learn who and how they are. But uh, I, I just I like talking to guys that, that kind of make me think a little bit. Well, that's a good answer. Ian, this has been so awesome. We appreciate you taking some time to hang out with us, talk some Mariners with us, let us hear a little bit about your career, and we certainly hope to do it all again soon. You know what? I'll do it again, man. I, I, good luck to you guys with the podcast. This is awesome. It sounds like a heck of an undertaking, and sounds like you're doing it the right way, man. So uh, best of luck to you, and yeah, let me know if I can help you out down the road, man. Awesome. Love that conversation with Ian Furness. It was awesome to have him on. We hope you guys enjoyed it. TJ, we have one little note here in our epilogue before we log off. The Mariners are two games back. The first part of this podcast we recorded, we talked about, oh, the Rangers are probably going to win tonight, so the race will stay at three games between the Rangers and M's. No, shout out former Mariner Cattell Marte. The Mariners are two games back of first place in the AL West, and oh, by the way, this is the closest they've been to first place this late in the season. Since 2007. Now, Law, if I flip this question back on you, how are you supposed to feel when you hear that fact? Well, half of me would say that's incredibly sad and disappointing. The other side of it is, let's not dwell on the past. They're two games out right now. Well, I like your optimism because I was more in the 100%. Yeah, that's that's pretty sad. But I got to say, shout out the Diamondbacks. Shout out Cattell Marte. That trade continues to reap benefits for the Mariners even years and years and years later. And hey, couldn't have been a better guy that blew the save either for the Rangers. So shout out to them. Never forget, folks, not only did that Cattell trade get the Mariners Mitch Haniger and for the time Gene Segura turned into J.P. Crawford too. If you like watching J.P. Crawford, you can thank Cattell Marte because they flipped Gene Segura for him. So shout out you, Cattell. Let's go. I think that just about wraps up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full-form podcast, you can listen on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon on the audio side. Make sure, guys, if you do that, go follow, download, and leave that five-star review. The downloads and the five-star reviews really help us out, so make sure to go and do that. Head over to our video side, watch us on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, turn those notification bells on when you check us out on the video side of this podcast too. On social media, you guys know too, we are always active on there. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ, I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.